Number one question, who's the most famous person in your contacts? Uh, come on. Come on, Pharrell, man. Kanye. I well, know you're not supposed to call him out, but I can call him well, out. Well, I mean, like, well, yeah, P for sure. You know, he's, like, def definitely world famous, you know. Yeah. You call him P? Yeah, Pharrell, yeah. That's gangster. Yeah. How about you, man? Oh, uh, yeah, he doesn't answer my text. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Back of Napkin. The podcast created in honor of that great tradition of big ideas doodled on little pieces of paper, where we here at Fleischman Hillard are passing a napkin to top marketing leaders who will sketch out what's on their minds about the topics that are on ours. So, holy smokes, guys, I am surrounded by some ridiculous talent today from the artist management and live production company, LDH. Joining me for today's discussion about how culture mashups are becoming the new formula for gener generating global brand love, our first verbal. He's creative maestro and executive creative director of LDH World. Born in Tokyo, Verbal founded Ambush along with his wife Yoon in 2008 as an experimental line of jewelry. You may have seen his iconic trademark POW chains on the likes of Big Sean. Verbal and Yoon have been listed as two of business of fashion's top 500 people influencing the global fashion industry for the last three consecutive years. It's amazing. Thank a you. member of hip hop supergroup Teriyaki Boys, I love that name. He's worked on notable music projects with Pharrell Williams, Kanye West, and Afrojack. Nice to have you, Verbal. Yes, yes. <laughs> and speaking of Afrojack, the one and only Grammy-winning Dutch DJ is also here, Nick Vanderwall. Yes. Listed by Forbes as one of the world's highest paid DJs, Nick is CEO of LDH Europe. As a DJ, record producer, and EDM superstar, he's worked with the likes of Snoop Dogg, Beyonce, and Pitbull, to name but a few. Nick runs his own label by the name of Wall Recordings, and he's also quite possibly the tallest human I've ever met in person, coming in at an impressive six foot nine inches. So a warm welcome to you from Sunny Can. Thank I thought you. 10 foot tall was about you, <laughs> 10 feet tall. Yeah, no, it was just a dream. Okay, yeah. I've done my research. One day, one day. Yeah, you so always add a couple of inches in the NBA, so that works. Yeah, well, I just I just want to start off with that introduction as it usually goes with me in interviews on anything on the business side. So far, I've been widely known internationally for becoming a, a successful DJ that I happen to have some couple of songs. But I've been very much focused on the success of the label and the artists that we're signing and formulaically laying out a path to success for younger artists and young people in general that might not even be artists yet. Amazing. I think that that is going to be an excellent topic to cover today. So we're going to riff on this phenomenon that we're calling mashups and these cultural mashups to be specific and really becoming a creative um, formula for global brand love. So in the past, really, if we thought about a brand's equity, it was really singular and almost precious in a way. And this idea of diluting a brand with a partnership was considered taboo, right? Um, you know, yet you both have managed to break the rules by meshing your personal brands and your talents with others. So by doing so, you've actually, you know, been creating global brands that cross cultures and, you know, in, in many um, ways, large traditional brands struggle to do that. So, um, Nick, I'll start with you first. You've had some really sick collaborations in your time. Um, a personal fave of mine is Dirty Sexy Money. Um, Thank you. So if, you, if there were uh, ever two big brands coming together to make something amazing, you know, that clearly is it. So can you tell me a little bit how that came about? It's, it's a song. It's like a song is a song. We work with a lot of people. And usually, actually, most songs within the music industry 
are multiple people behind the scenes working together and then one yeah. brand representing it or two brands representing it. But like I said, it's, it's a song. It's like every song is a song. So but how Thank do you, you. take in for inspiration from collaborating with folks to reach an entirely new audience? It's, it's a very simple one plus one. It's like if you see a Supreme Louis Vuitton collaboration, it's the same thing. It's like two cool things doing something new because they're from different sides and you just put them together. And my work with David Guetta has always been representing that. We find cool beats. Um, I do a lot of engineering and mixing work to make it sound like something new. And yeah. then David implements the, the big pop stuff on it to make it very catchy for the massive crowd. But I think this is the same thing with any kind of mashup. So speaking of mashups, Verbal, in your early lyrics, um, you mixed Japanese and English in a way that had never been done before. Um, right. I actually loved your TEDx talk that you did, and I was wondering if you'd give us a little sample. You did a TEDx talk? What? Yeah, long oh, time ago. Oh, that's gangster. Oh, I didn't know that. What? Just throw some down. Come on. What? Okay, um, goes way back. I used to say, Kinishinai my periphery, cause Jamamono Bakari, Uasani Kiku melodies, Ataman Nakani, Tosai, Skeru was so die, Oishiku ate too many MCs, I got Konai and Flajumin, Itsumo Chupin, Niju Sanku with love, Otono Chushin, so throw up your hands, Jodan Nukinatsek, Urbanite Nagare, and Flow Dialect. Woohoo! Please, please right. don't tell me you're the first one to introduce English language and <laughs> Japanese music culture. I wasn't, but I think. You know you what? It, it. It, it's safe to say ah. that we kind of forced the program into the um, the national charts. Yeah. And, you know, made people kind of think, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound that bad, you know? Well, I think what's really interesting about that is, like, imagine being a kid kind of coming out of Tokyo and then being transplanted into Boston um, during the 80s. And we, we discovered that we share the same birth year, so I'm also a child of the 80s. Yeah, that's um, right. That really that that time frame influenced your collaborative approach. So, um, can you talk to us a little bit about that, and you know how the mashup of early hip hop really um, and like even the pedestrian paradise helped shape, you know, where you went with your career? Well, um, I grew up in Japan um, listening to hip hop. I was um, in elementary school when I heard Run DMC first, and it was a culture shock. Um, you know, coming from Japan where everybody was into anime. The music I was listening mm -hmm. to was anime theme songs. And then my mother took me to Boston in my um, elementary school days. And that's when I encountered Run DMC. Kids my age were breakdancing. You know, they have boom boxes on their shoulders and whatnot. You know, it might sound like cliche now, but back then that was like totally new and fresh. So anyway, fast forward a couple years. I started emceeing, started writing raps in high school. Um... And then naturally, I was mixing English, but then um, because I was raised in Japan, I you know meshed Japanese into it. And back then, I had a lot of people asking like, "Oh, why do you mix it like that?" Because it was kind of different, you know. But I was like, "Why not?" Because that's how I used to speak like English and Japanese mixed up, and that's what I do still to this day. That's so cool. So um, you guys both clearly have passions outside of music that influence your work. And LDH is obviously not a management firm or even a record company. It's a film distributor. It's a company with interest in apparel, 
education, restaurants, and even publishing. So it bends and blurs all sorts of lines. So um, Nick, let me ask you this. And this multi-dimensional influence really comes through in your lighting and visuals, which are fantastic. I mean, you're used to pumping up crowds and, you know, along really big names, but I mean, your LED shows are such an important part of your visual language and your personal brand. Um, this element of your performance in many ways transforms borders and, and even artists and really truly speaks to fans globally. Can you share how you, you know, are these visuals a, a form of collaboration in and of themselves? Well, the visuals are, of course, uh, like they're directed by me and visualized by uh, my visual. I, we call him a visual guy. Yeah, There's visual one guy artist. that we work together. He creates the 3D plans and then sends it out to other companies to create them. We check it and then we use it and he performs live while I'm DJing. So everything you see on the LED screen and on the lighting is actually two people on the front of house doing the lights and visuals. And it definitely grows the, the impression you give to the people. But I do think the most important thing for any kind of brand is to always be, how you say, be working towards every sense of the person mm -hmm. you're speaking to. Work on their emotion, work on their sight, work on their hearing, even like, if possible, on their smell. It's a fully immersive experience. Well, that's better than uh, a one sensoric experience. I don't know how you would say that. Absolutely. Like five is better than one. I mean, but really, your connection with your fans through visuals as well as your, your musical art ha has truly become um, an essence of your brand and who you are, which is um, really a powerful thing. So along the same lines, I'm curious, Verbal, if you can catch this next question for me. So what influences from global subcultures play together in your storytelling? So, um, you know, obviously you have a career in both music and fashion and having studied business at Boston College, um, followed by your hip hop and fashion ventures is an unlikely path. And I'm really just curious, like what, you know, from your upbringing and all the different subcultures that you've been exposed to, how does that influence your, your brand? Well, I think the fact that I'm Korean, born and raised in Japan, but my main language that I speak when I uh, communicate is in English, it just makes me alien everywhere, you know? In the States, <laughs> I'm not amazing. American. Right. And, you know, in Japan, I'm not Japanese. And in Korea... I'm not really I'm not really from Korea, you know. So it makes me alien and also it kind of forces me to adapt everywhere and you know, sponge all types of culture and appreciate everyone and all, you know, forms of, you know, cultures. So that allows me to mix and mesh a lot of different um elements that I experience and you know, that I think adds to my uniqueness and what I do. How about you, Nick? I got inspired throughout my youth. Uh, I got inspired throughout my youth basically through just like verbal not really fitting into a certain category which gave me a lot of time to work on other stuff instead of socializing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, very evident proof of anyone successful in their early years is usually the result of not being busy during your child years and actually allowing you time to think about what you want to do with your life. So um, you both are very globally minded and locally connected, kind of as a result of pulling from your, your past experiences and your upbringings and just really how you've been able to um, see all the different cultures across the world. I mean, really carved out a unique yet universal brand appeal. So let's talk specifically about collaborations here. Um, it seems more than ever that there are collaborations between different brands, um, whether it's multiple artists and 
or artists and brands. So, you know, why do you think the meshing of brands and talents today is appealing to today's global customers? I think it's the shock factor, you know, first of all, and then the synergy that it brings. Um, people are, are a little bit more intuitive now and very keen. So, you know, they could just go on Instagram and find things out or they can get online and find out information unlike like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So people need that next level, you know, element of surprise. So, um, for example, recently when Virgil became the designer for Louis Vuitton, Eddie Slimane went on to become designer for Celine, yeah. and Kim Jones became the Dior designer. It was kind of like the triumvirate of awesome designers and creatives just going into this house. And that was a shock factor because Louis Vuitton is like a house that, you know, never probably welcomed. Not, not that they didn't welcome, but I think it was new for them to bring in like a creative person like Virgil. You know, it was like a new thing. So that was definitely, um, you know, mind-blowing for a lot of people. Um, I think that's the kind of thing that everyone's looking for, like a new form of collaboration. Like, for example, what Nick mentioned earlier, when Supreme collaborated with Louis Vuitton, yeah. I mean, it's like, yo, that's like game over, you know? What do you do after that? Well, I, I think the very simple way to explain it, like everybody knows art imitates life, right? That's why we love watching art, seeing art, wearing art, like in fashion. And if you, if you see art imitating life, seeing one artist do one thing, that's one person being one person. If you see multiple people doing one thing, it, you see multiple people working together. Just right. like how we're out here right now, you see a whole team active on one thing. It's very impressive. It's more impressive than seeing one person active on one thing. So for art to grow to a level where mashup and collaboration becomes normal is very, very natural. I, I find it fascinating, fascinating, and as I, I counsel brands, I often feel challenged to ensure that the brand remains true to their authentic self while at the same time exploring these kind of new and collaborative grounds. Um, you know, what advice do you have, and both of your you know vast experience here, for brands when it comes to collaborating with an artist, and you know, how do you ensure that you get the ingredients right so that it's authentic and real and people are going to follow it? I, I have one very simple rule, and it's it's called paying attention. Uh, like I said, like art imitates life. Brands try to imitate art in order to sell easily. So the only thing you really have to do when you're about to collab with another brand is find out what your core values are, find out what your collaboration partner's core values are, find out what the people see, because you're not just catering to yourself, you're catering to the people. So find out what your people think that your brand is. And then combine those things to make sure both of those subsets get involved in a new collaboration. So what successful collaborations can you point to where you've been able to get those ingredients right? Supreme Louis Vuitton. Um, any kind of song I ever did with a rapper. It's the same thing with a song. I always say... Like, say People are always like very like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it's very simple. You have a song on the current trend with both a rapper and a singer and a cool beat. That's like, they have like three worlds. It's one rapper cannot fight against a rapper, a singer and a cool beat. One cool beat cannot fight a singer, a rapper and a cool beat. Like the combination will always win over any singularity. And then when those three 
pieces coalesce, it creates something pretty powerful. And you, then you see the Supreme Louis Vuitton collaboration, you see uh, Give Me Everything, like it was my first number one. You see um, how Ambush is evolving and you see LDH. And LDH is the prime example of collaboration. That's the reason I joined LDH and that's why I'm here doing anything. Well, to, to build on that, how do you uh, ensure, so obviously you get the ingredients right and you, you can't compete with what is a good collaboration, but how do you ensure that you're maintaining your own identity and your, your own personal brand when collaborating? You go first because I'm, I'm going to debunk that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for me, um, I think um, just kind of adding to what Nick said as well, um, it's about having a story and a narrative mm -hmm. because... Um, this is a really obvious example, but when Cardi B first came out with her record, you know, everyone already knew her from the reality shows. So they knew that she had worked as a stripper and she worked her way up. So by the time she released that song, and of course she had like music out prior, but when that hit came out, people knew the story and her upbringing and her narrative. So it made sense when she dropped that song. So I think when you collaborate, if the story is there, everyone understands and everyone's in sync, you know? So when two brands get together, whether it be music to music or music to a fashion brand or music to even like, I don't know, like a food and beverage company, if the story is there, it'll resonate with the crowd. Amazing. So you want to demunk it now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I definitely agree with what Verbal said. And I definitely think that uh, congruency is the most important factor for any kind of successful story. Just like it's proven in human psychology, mm. congruence is the number one priority for people accepting other people. But the thing is, like, what people tend to forget is like when you say remaining true to the origins of your brand, yes, you keep the same face, but people are variable. We grow. When you're 15, you're not the same as when you're 5. When you're 25, you're not the same as when you're 15. 35, 45, and so on, and so on. If you would be, like, you would be probably very <laughs> awkward. If you're 45, you're still behaving the same way as you're 15. So when you apply this to brands, it is very important that the brand grows naturally. And that's why it's very important to have the people that work there stay real and stay honest and be in touch, be in communication with your people. And it's so easy now with the internet. Everyone is leaving their comments online. So it's very easy to send a data analyzer to see what your fans want, to see what your brand's lovers want and what they're heading towards. And I think the best companies to have done this so far are supermarkets that can tell you're pregnant before you're even, <laughs> you even know that you're pregnant. You know what I mean? Frightening, yes. But so congruency and, you know, sharing a, a common desire and a shared, at, you know, attributes um, really, I think, are somewhat aspects of truth around what makes good collaboration. So uh, just curious if you guys would be willing to share with me a collaboration that you've had individually that you're most proud of and how do you think that it, it actually um, delivered that brand love between you and your fans? Man, you know what? Um, for me, I think, you know, this might be um, unbeknownst to anybody outside of Japan, but I'm in a group called M-Flow. That was my first group that I debuted um, back in 1999. I'm old. Anyway, um, uh, this group had three, three members. Me, uh, my partner Taku, and then singer Lisa. But 
she had left the group after two albums and we were selling like a million copies of a CD, you know, back in the days. Anyway, so when she left the group, I felt like we were like Guns N' Roses without Axl Rose, you know? <laughs> so we're like, what are we going to do? So we started featuring different artists and we called that like M-Flow loves so-and-so. It's like kind of like saying like featuring Beyonce except we called it loves and we coined that phrase and that kind of popularized the whole collaboration aspect of it so for me um, um, being able to like collaborate and well, sorry what was the question again and what, what's one of your most favorite collaborations oh yeah, yeah. so 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 me that was the um, my favorite collaborative like project like M flow and what we did because we turned like a problem into like a like a advantage if you will that's, you know that's neat it actually became more meaningful along the yeah, way and, 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 and then there's a story to it because everyone knew that she left the group and for your information she came back to the group and we're now together again so oh. yeah anyway sorry long story no that's good so your favorite success Nick as far as collaboration goes I think my first notice of the <laughs> well I don't know how to say this uh Okay, let me just stick to the simple success story. So okay. my first song that I did that was a, a worldwide success was a song called Take Over Control, which was a mix of pop and like very Dutchy dance music. So it was the first song on the radio with an instrumental drop, the first song on the radio with bleeps, and a, a song that introduced a lot of people to dance music. So David Guetta did Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling, which was like pop dance. So pop with a lot of influence from dance. And then Take Over Control was the first song that like flipped it and went like dance pop. So to put an instrumental drop on the radio with a high-pitched noise was very, very crazy for everyone. But at the same time, I was so confident it would work because everyone is hearing about dance music, but they are not given a translated example of how pop music translates into dance music. So when, when I did that, song the first thing i told david when i played it to him in the car like yo this is going to be the first song on the radio with a drop and he said like yeah you're right because it's again it's a simple algorithm but that's the only thing i want to point out it's like if you're a company in this day and age and you don't know how to reach your fans you gotta study up like for real it's so easy like your fans are telling you constantly what they want and if you can't tell what they want, you need to study how to tell what your people want. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think you actually just gave a good example where you were able to flip something on its head, take a risk, kind of step outside of the boundary and do something different. Um, and we talked about this. You guys uh, kind of stole my lead there. I was going to talk a little bit about Louis Vuitton and Supreme, but um, really thinking about them a decade ago and whether or not, would you ever think that Louis Vuitton would be partnering with Supreme, I would have, I would have called you crazy, but um, I really find it fascinating that these legacy brands um, have been able to reinvent themselves and create new relevancy and reach new audiences. Um, why do you think that taking creative risks and being open to these obscure collaborations is so important these days? I think shock factor, again, I mean, something new to offer to the you know unsuspecting masses i think um at the end of the day streets run the world you know um these cult ideas and new concepts pretty much spearhead trends so 
like the whole you know when I grew up like yeah I grew up skateboarding so in the 90s like Supreme was like this new brand that was coming up I saw Company Flow this rap group where Supreme I was like oh that's cool let me get that boxed you know box logo T and then that's my first entry into Supreme but that brand a couple years later becoming this phenomenon and working with Louis Vuitton is just like it, it, it was just the narrative that made sense to everybody you know because it got so big and they collaborated with everyone to a point where who would you collaborate with next? Yeah, Louis Vuitton, right? Right. I mean, I think culture really dictates what, you know, much of what brands and artists saying today. I think you said art imitates life. It's a similar think, thinking here around culture actually dictating, you know, what brand and, and art is doing and, you know, what they'll actually say tomorrow. So if we think as artists, as pioneers, which I think you guys both qualify as artistic pioneers, um, create, you know, you're creating at the front line of culture and you're really being tasked to anticipate what's going to be next. Um, in many ways, you're leading the conversation for us. So just looking at your musical careers alone, um, you have you have a gift for kind of being able to see around corners and see ahead and, you know, know what's going to work before the rest of us do and jumping on it. Um, you know, if you could have that crystal ball, um, can you predict what the next evolution of brand collaborations are going to be? Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Look at the company I'm working with. I'm pretty sure they're on point. In Japan, they already figured it out. Let's talk a little bit about LDH then and give me a sense as to kind of how they are, you know, um, setting a trend. Well, I, I'll tell you my impression the first time I came there. So I, uh, I got there through Verbal. Thank you again, Verbal. Through Verbal, I became CEO of LDH Europe. So thank you. Of course. Um, he brought me to Japan. He introduced me to Japanese culture. I was very surprised how Japan seemed like a completely different world, different culture, different mentality, different mindset, kindness, loyalty, all kinds of subjects that in the Western culture do not exist at all. And to see that, I was like, oh, wow. So there's a better, or, well, not better, but different society than the one that I grew up in. Then I got introduced to the music scene, and then I saw uh, Verbal showed me a live show of LDH, and I noticed how they completely transformed live production to a whole nother level, but at the same time also transformed the way they communicate with their fans, which really showed me, like, yo... Like, Europe and America are running very, very, very far behind. And no one's paying attention because most people that are in charge right now are of the older generation. They just want their paycheck, they want their bonuses, and they don't care about the future because they got their money. I'm in a younger generation. I see the future. I'm like, yo, I want to jump on this. This is like a whole nother level of collaboration. They don't just work with artists or live production people or TV people, they coach them into being successful and by coaching them they get a certain loyalty which allows them to grow and sign other people. So if you see Dr. Dre signing Eminem, signing 50 Cent, signing the game, you see LDH doing that but in every direction, through restaurants, through chefs, through documentaries, through actors, etc, etc, etc. And I think that is the future of collaboration and if you can't see that, you're probably one of the lazy people just waiting for their bonus. That, I mean, that's great. It's it's kind of looking at it as you're you're not just looking at a vertical. You're looking at an entire portfolio, and so being able to bring that um, the spirit of artistry across every industry um, and infuse that in the way that you guys are doing well, is, is the new. clearest example I can give from a DJ perspective is we have one line: the DJ Mac Top 100. 
Now, if you really are like, ah, uh, I love all my competitors and all my DJ colleagues, but if you're really so short-sighted to only see the virtual line of the DJ Mac Top 100 because you happen to be a DJ, like there's a lot more to life. And that's what I love about LDH. It keeps, it keeps growing into whatever gets thrown at them. So if they meet someone and say like, yo, I have this idea for a plant, and they like the guy and they like the idea, they will help him set up a company. And that kind of, that kind of loyalty, that kind of craft, craftsmanship of not just success, but also the people behind the success, that I think can generate way more than just a success in business, but also a success in the next generation. I'm actually fascinated with what LDH stands for. It's actually an acronym for love, dreams, and happiness. And at your core, you're a company that's like formed to help people achieve their dreams. So, yeah, it's uh, that's like the most difficult thing probably to translate to Western culture. Like, hello, I represent love, dreams, and happiness. How are you doing? <laughs> But at the end of the day, that made sense because we actually keep talking about how to explain the ethos of the company. So we're like, oh, yeah, we develop artists. We're like an artist management, live production, blah, blah, blah. But it's why do you do what you do? It's true. Yeah, we help realize people's dreams because they're in love with their craft and they want to be happy at the end of the day. What's that? Love, dream, and happiness. I mean, it's just like, that's, it, it can't get more straightforward than that. No, it's and, the most fantastic, altruistic name, and, and I would love to work for a company with that as its foundational and, message. And, and you should, and please, like, you know, well, we'd love to do something together, I really, you know? I really think that, like, if you look at it again from a company perspective, I always said to everyone, like, the only reason I became successful is because my mom allowed me to do what I love, and she told me, well, even when I quit school and she had no money to pay for another school, she said, well, if that's what you want, you go do it. So she let me follow music. Now, I know there's a lot of kids out there with parents that don't work like that. Basically, our company is the parent for those kids with dreams to tell them, you go chase your dream. We'll help you. It's amazing. The, the enablers of dreams. Yeah. Oh, and education also is very important. Like, <laughs> you can't just grow success. You also need to educate people. So we talked about culture mashups being the new formula for creating global brand love. We talked about the future of collaborations and, you know, just to round one thing out, um, you guys have anything else that you would want to, to leave us with? Just to add to what Nick was saying earlier, um, it, it is interesting that LDH was able to realize a certain system, you know, or like a method of doing what we do within the ecosystem of Japan. Like, you know, I, if anyone's into K-pop music, you know, it's totally different from J-pop. And, you know, if you're into, like, Chinese music, Kanto pop's different from K-pop and J-pop. And um, Japan was able to enjoy its fruits domestically because, you know, to this day, CDs sales go up to uh, a million copies of physical CDs, you know, of, of per artist. You know, I'm not talking about like the whole nation, it's like per artist. And this is very unique to Japan. We still have tower records in Japan. So anyway, um, having said that, we were able to create a system where there's artist development and from there, there's live production and artists need to wear apparel on stage. So we have LDH apparel, which creates all the costumes and have multiple brands and people need to eat, right? So of course we have restaurants, we have like over 10 restaurants in the uh, in Japan and 
so forth. We have dance schools that develop artists, and now we have over 6,500 6, students. And from there, we develop over 50 artists um, out of the 100 in our roster. So that's all verticals that are um, uh, within our company. 360 degrees is vertically integrated. And that's something that, going back to what Nick was saying, it's like Dr. Dre and 50 Cent and Eminem all in one company and Bravado in one company and their surrounding restaurants all within one company. And that just happened to make sense in the Japanese environment. So when Nick had experienced that, he was like, yo, we got to take it overseas. And for us, that was like, um, that, you know, that was really encouraging because we felt like we were doing the right thing. Did I, wait, did I give you that idea? What's that? <laughs> I thought you gave me that idea. Was that? No, no. Well, I mean, you came to Japan and you met Hiro-san and then you thought like, um, you know, you yeah. should bring that overseas. Yeah, very. I don't even remember. I just remember seeing Like, I just remember seeing it and going like, yo, <coughs> if we only knew, if we only knew. And now in a few years, we will know. Well, I think that you guys might be um, allowing the rest of us to have a glimpse into that crystal ball. So um, it's been an honor to have you both here today. Um, that's a wrap. Um, you have such interesting stories and diverse cultural experiences. I'm left truly inspired, and this uh, viewpoint doesn't, uh, it's not too bad either, huh? So um, until next time, I'm Candy Peterson, Global Director of Brand Marketing for Fleischmann Hillard with Back of Napkin, where we just jotted down some of the great ideas about culture mashups and brand collaboration, courtesy of Afrojack and Verbal. Very cool, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a production of Fleischmann Hillard, a global public relations and marketing agency serving the world's top brands. For more information about this podcast and to listen to previous episodes, visit FleischmannHillard.com forward slash brand marketing.